This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. So is this cold, snowy January weather making you think of travel regardless of the pandemic? Some new numbers suggest that many of us are thinking the same way and doing something about it. Nearly 750,000 Canadians returned home from somewhere else in December, despite the fact that Omicron was just then starting to force people to change their travel plans. At the same time, a new retirement survey suggests a significant number of pre-retirees are delaying calling it quits because they're unable to travel at this time during the pandemic. Libby was joined by the Zoomer squad, as she is every Monday, to talk about the various dynamics at play in retirement and travel. Peter Mugrich is senior editor of Zoomer magazine. Bill Van Gorder is chief operating officer and chief policy officer of CARP. And David Kravitz is chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. Retirement isn't, I don't think it's a neat, clean thing. I'm all set to go. And, you know, all I need to do is be able to travel and then I'm going to execute the rest of my retirement plan. I think what's happening is that's one factor. I can't do anything anyway. But also, um, I don't know what my financial situation is. You know, a lot of people are saying I'm very worried about inflation. Uh, I'm very worried about uh, keeping an income coming in because can I deal with the rising cost of living? And now we're going to add to it, and I, I'm sure you're going to be covering it in the weeks ahead. You know, the, the Dow Jones is down 800 points today. They're talking about a major stock market correction in response to inflation. So if I have a fixed income and I'm suddenly taking a 10 15% hit, uh, can I walk away from all of that? So I think when you add all these uh, uncertainties together, of which uh, travel is certainly a huge one, I'm not disagreeing with the report, but I think it's one more reason to, uh, everywhere I look, I see a, an issue. I better just tuck in and, and keep going for the time being. Uh, and I think that's what's motivating a lot of people. It's not unusual for people who are on the cusp of, of leaving their jobs to say, I'm not sure what my financial situation is. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how much money I have. That's kind of uh, normal, if you know what I mean. But this, yeah. this, this business about delaying because basically they're afraid they'll be bored and they can't do what it was, you know, those things that are built up in people's heads. I'm, as soon as this, I'm going to take that kind of a big trip or the next kind of a big trip. Uh, that I just found that really, really interesting. Uh, well, I think I think that's dead on, Libby. As you know, I do a number of uh, retirement uh, seminars, and I and I did one uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and those were exactly the things that we were discussing online, by the way, not in person. <laughs> discussing with this group who were uh, were up for retirement sometime in the next uh, eight months, and all of those things 
uh, were discussed. And, and, you know, basically people saying, uh, uh, my, my life is now centered around with my work. If I, if I'm not working, all the other things that I might do, join a service club, go out and do volunteer work, travel, all those things. None of those are going to be available to me right now. Uh, I might just as well stay at work because I won't have anything to do. Monday morning, there's snow, you know, you have to dig yourself out, you have to drag yourself into work. That, you know, that, those are days when retirement seems like like a good option, right? <laughs> yeah. But if, but if everyone's working at home, you know, um, all they're doing is, you know, they're rolling out of bed and, and going, getting a cup of coffee and going to their desk. Maybe it doesn't seem so bad going to work. Maybe that, that whole sort of drudgery of the, the work day is removed. Uh. And people are, okay, this isn't too bad. You know, I'll, I'm going to try this out a little longer. I wonder if it's given certain people who are sort of 50-50 on retirement a little bit of extra juice to, to keep going. We're in that zone of uncertainty. It's just the, it's the mood of uncertainty. It's the mood of anxiety. I think it's a short-term thing. It'll play itself out by the the summer and you'll know, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to retire after all. Uh, I don't think people are putting their retirement plans on hold for, you know, 10 years. But I think there's certainly uh, so much uh, uh, turmoil and unknown and, and, and the news is mostly negative that it's a disincentive to make a dramatic change in your life. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. We also started the week highlighting a terrible situation that some condo owners in the Jane Finch area are facing. The building is owned by York Condominium Corporation Number 82, which is demanding that condo-owning residents pay millions in repairs. The corporation also has a debt of $9 million and sent out letters to residents giving them only 15 days to pay for a special assessment ranging between $30,000 and $42,500 per unit, depending on its size, with an additional $800 for monthly maintenance fees. Under Ontario's Condominium Act, the corporation has the power to demand of all residents to pay for such expenses, regardless of how costly it gets, while many of the owners affected are older people on fixed incomes. Libby spoke about the dire situation with Jonathan Fine, a lawyer with Lash Condo Law here in Toronto. It is a a, a terrible uh, case, and it's it's a, a shame for all the people that live there. Uh, so how come it got to this point that, uh, if this corporation has a $9 million debt, they're, they're sending out a lever- letter giving people 15 days to pay? Well, they need the money. And, uh, it's, you know, it's not a we, they situation. I, I think that, you know, sometimes, um, condo owners may feel that it's a we, they situation, but the condo owners own the building. And where does a condominium corporation get money from when it has debts to pay? It gets it from the unit unit owners. And the unit owners, by law, must pay and contribute to the common expenses. And if they don't pay, the condo can lien and sell their unit. And, and that's, you know, what's happening and what's going to happen for some of the people here, unfortunately. 
Well, um, but again, how often have you seen a big bill like this? I mean, it, it sounds like the residents weren't, they weren't aware that, first of all, there was a $9 million debt being run up. Well, I think I think they were aware, and and um, you know I I think that um, maybe uh, people just close their eyes to it. You, you don't see it that often, but I mean, many years ago, uh, I'm thinking 20 years ago, uh, and I'm thinking about a, a condominium and Avenue Road in St. Clair in the middle of Toronto, and unit owners there had a $75,000 unit special assessment. So it does happen. It's not um, usual to see these types of numbers, but it does happen. But in this case, I mean, this building is in deplorable condition. And the judge, uh, maybe you've seen the the judgment that came out recently, but the judge said that urgent repairs are required for health and and safety reasons. Well, you know, uh, if you remember that condo that that, uh, collapsed in In Miami, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that is is what I took from the judge's uh, reasons that maybe this condo is that bad at this point. So there's no discussing it. Money is required, and it's got to come from somewhere. Unfortunately, and mm-hmm. that's the harsh reality. Mm-hmm. Sorry to say, is there any kind of uh, recourse or remedy for an owner? You know, here's the problem. The problem is money is is required right now. So how is the condo going to get the money, either by a special assessment or perhaps by a loan? But you're going to have to find a letter, a lender rather, who's going to loan money, and then you'll have to pay a, a big interest rate. Down the road, it may be that the reason for all this is that somebody was negligent. That is, they didn't do something they were supposed to do. But trying to get a judgment from a court against somebody for negligence takes time, it takes money, it takes a lawyer, um, you have to pay the lawyer, and then even if after you get a judgment, you still have to try to collect it because maybe the person went bankrupt. So it's, uh, it's, it's not something that, uh, there's no recourse right now. One of the things that was open to people, or this condo, was selling the, the property. And they did put that to a vote, and they couldn't get enough uh, people to agree to sell the property. So as the judge said, um, the special assessment was the only feasible option, and they had to go with it with a special assessment. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be bad for some people, and hopefully for some people, uh, enough money will be collected so that the building can, can be put back in, in good shape. Time will tell. Lawyer Jonathan Fine with Lash Condo Law in Toronto. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the truckers' convoy, dubbed the Freedom Rally, becomes a voice for anti-vaxxers and COVID deniers. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
On Tuesday, Fight Back addressed the cross-country truckers' protest organized by a former official of the right-wing Wexit group in Western Canada to protest the COVID vaccine mandate imposed both ways at the Canada-U.S. border. There was a shortage of truckers before COVID, and now we're hearing dire warnings about product shortages because of the new vaccine mandates on both sides of the border, although we've yet to see any widespread evidence of this on store shelves. Libby discussed the so-called Freedom Rally with our strategy panelists, conservative strategist John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, former liberal Ontario finance minister, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. The challenge now being faced with vaccine mandates is that um, they don't spread to stop COVID because vaccinated people can spread COVID, especially the Omicron. And we've seen in, in various healthcare sectors, actually, the, the governments have had to pull back on mandated vaccines because of having to lose staff. And 15% is what they're saying, 10 to 15% is what they're seeing in the general population in certain industries. And, you know, here at the truckers, they have been not vaccinated for two years, going about their business because they've been deemed to be essential. And now when we have a variant that doesn't actually, that vaccines don't really work against in terms of spread, it becomes a much harder sell to say to this cohort, you need to be vaccinated in order to cross the border. You know, and then with that, there's the public frustration around, you know, here we are two years in, you know, things are just getting harder. If you get vaccinated, you still can't go to the, you can't go to the restaurant. You can't get food in the grocery store. You can't go to the gym. Kids aren't, well, they're back at school now. But, you know, I think there's a, a frustration that's percolating. And that I, I think that irrespective of how the truckers are dealt with, the government needs to pay attention to Charles, what's your view? Well, Karen makes a point that just because you're inoculated doesn't mean you're not contagious. And I guess that's the argument being made. But this freedom rally is really a rally cry for those on the fringes and those that, frankly, oppose any government intervention, except when they get sick. And then, of course, they appreciate the fact that the government's there to support them when they most need it. And that's the point here. Getting inoculated, and thankfully the Truckers uh, Alliance has acknowledged that, it's inappropriate for them to, to do this, that we should take those appropriate steps because, you know, COVID is still spreading. We're still fighting this battle. And the truckers, they don't, you, don't, you don't get vaccinated, fine, you quarantine after you're done your, your trip. And they, they have choices. But this is about trying to stop the spread, and I'm infuriated by the fact that these guys are doing it. And I think it's a, it's a select few, even though they've raised a lot of money, this is bigger than the truckers. This is not just the truckers. John, they've raised a lot of money. A lot of money, Libby, for sure. And, and you know, obviously, as we saw from the from your announcer before the program, that, that GoFund, you know, it alarmed them so much that they actually froze the account until they found out, you know, exactly where the money's going to, which is part of the rules with, with respect to raising money through GoFundMe. Um, but, you know, this is an issue, I think, this, this is an issue that is that is causing... Um, uh, problems with respect to not only the politicians, but to us in general with respect to this divide between, you know, freedom, as they call it, or, or anti-vaxxers versus vac- those who are vaccinated. Uh, I think truckers have had, um, for the longest time, have been under undervalued, underestimated, and, and, and the value that they bring to the economy. And I think this pandemic certainly has elevated the, the you know what, how important truckers are and, and to the to the supply chain quite frankly to the economy and and you know we remember early on in the pandemic there were gas stations along the highways that weren't allowing truckers to to use bath the washrooms or, or or to make stops and 
Uh, and it took a number of governments, including the Ontario government, to say, you know, that they that they had to allow for truckers to actually use washrooms at these at these truck stops and gas stations because, you know, without them, there was a there was an absolute direct effect to the supply chain. Uh, and and I think we're seeing that now. And and with protests, still, be, you know, sometimes protesters can do themselves harm. Uh, and what we're seeing that, you know, from the Trucker Alliance Association, which is, you know, denouncing this, this saying, you know, there's other ways of being able to protest other than blocking highways, which, of course, does affect Canadians and does put sometimes a bad image to uh, to the protesters and what their message is, is, is going to be. But I think overall, this yet sort of proves that the divide that we're in and how politicized it's become. Uh, and and how you know Canadians now are, are are seeing that you know they're calling this a freedom rally because they want to be free to to do what they want to do. Conservative strategist John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario finance minister, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Tuesday's fight back strategy panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Wednesday morning, the Bank of Canada announced it's keeping its key interest rate steady at an historic low of 0.25%, though setting the stage for a hike in March. Economists are expecting a series of rate hikes this year in an attempt to control inflation. At the same time, the markets have been wild and volatile with big losses most of the month after a really long bull market run. What does this mean for older investors? Libby was joined by Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor, Alan Small Financial Group, IA Private Wealth, and Benjamin Tall, Managing Director and Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC Capital Markets. The Bank of Canada faced a major dilemma before the decision because on the one hand, inflation is rising and you need to fight it and maintain your credibility as a central bank that is, that is fighting inflation. At the same time, do you really want to raise interest rates in an environment in which we are still in the midst of an Omicron where uh, the job market will be negative in January, people are struggling, small businesses are struggling? Do you really want to raise interest rates in this environment? So it was uh, the decision not to raise interest rates was really a PR decision, basically try to show that uh, the um, uh, bank is not blind to what's happening uh, in the economy given COVID. At the same time, they are basically raising interest rates without raising interest rates by telling the market, listen, the party is over. We are raising interest rates. Be ready. Alan, uh, what should people do in their portfolios to prepare for these rising rates? And that's a great question. I think, especially for retirees, a lot of them have been forced to move into the stock market because interest rates have been so low for so long. You really can't make enough to, to keep up with inflation, to keep up with their people's expenses. So a lot of individual investors have been forced to move into the stock market to, to earn a higher rate of return than they would get in the fixed income market. And I think these are the individuals that I think when times are volatile, they're the ones that uh, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're the most likely to panic or, or make some, some poor judgments or poor decisions because, frankly, they're just not used to being in the market during these times. So what I think they need to do is anytime these things happen, take a step back. You know, don't make any uh, rush. Don't rush to judgment. Don't rush to make a move. Uh, if you're owning good quality names, a lot of these retirees have moved into things such as 
Canadian bank stocks, I think. And I think Canadian bank stocks work in a rising interest rate environment. Banks in general tend to work. So I think what individual investors have to do is assess their portfolio, assess the, you know, the companies they own. Do these companies have pricing? Uh, you know, can they can they pass along pricing uh, higher costs to to the end user? Uh, you know, do the, do these companies that uh, someone owns do they grow? Do they have a bottom line growth, and will they continue to grow? So I think any company that can pr- pass along higher costs to the end user and that can show long term growth, those are the names that I believe individual investors want to take a look at during these times. Benjamin Tall, what do you think? consumers can do in the face of this inflation and you know this these interest rate hikes presumably they won't come very quickly yes that's the key question how quickly the bank of canada and the fed will raise interest rates we have to remember that every economic recession over the past 50 years was a help if not caused by monetary policy error in which central bankers raise interest rates way too quickly so i believe that the market now pricing in five or six moves by the Bank of Canada is too hawkish. I think that the Bank of Canada will go more slowly, but at the end of the day, they will take interest rates to where they belong. So now interest rates are basically one quarter of a percentage point. So overall, I suggest that yes, this, the tech sector in the US is suffering because it's extremely sensitive to uh, higher interest rates. But if your time horizon is not five minutes, if your time horizon is two or three years, I believe that there are some bargains in the tech space at this point because the future is technology. I'll give the last word to Alan. Uh, do you agree or are we, we headed to that, in, uh, well, some would say inevitable bear market? No, I do agree. I do agree. And uh, I agree with uh, the, uh, the ideas of, of technology and, and looking at some of those places where you know, the market seems to have sold off just because interest rates are, are about to go higher. I think if we can get some stability in the markets, I think when cooler heads do prevail and we see that Raising or rising interest rates is a normal function to get to the one and a half, two percent over the next year and a half or so. I think individuals will start to buy up some of these bargain, uh, bargain priced uh, stocks. Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor, Alan Small Financial Group, IA Private Wealth, and Benjamin Tall, Managing Director and Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC Capital Markets. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Ingrid called from Thornhill about condo living and the associated repair costs. I just moved into a condo uh, last April, so I'm pretty new to this whole uh, lifestyle. And for the most part, it's great. But what happened when we, um, before we took possession of the condo, the lawyer involved did like, um, I can't remember what it's called, but they do a check to see that there's money in the kitty, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, my building 
does repairs all the time. It doesn't cost us extra because we checked and they have the extra money in, in the fund. And this whole thing with the Florida thing, like we, on our board, we have someone that's actually worked in construction and knows a little bit about foundation issues because my building is like 30 years old. So, um, they're, they're really actually pretty good here, but we did like a thorough check before we moved in to make sure it was okay. And now fight backs, knockout call of the week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Marianne in Vaughan, who phoned on the two-year anniversary of the first COVID case in Canada. My husband did get COVID back in April, and he was in the hospital for seven weeks. Oh, my goodness. In critical care, oh, in dear. isolation. I didn't get to see him. He went through a nightmare. It was uh, a miracle that he managed to come home. He was also on oxygen for another couple of months when he came home. There is a real COVID out there. And my husband, this is 10 months, and my husband is, my husband is gone from compared to what he used to be. I don't know he'll ever get better. His lungs are ruined, and, and yet people complain that they still refuse to get this vaccine. You're taking away my freedom. You have all the freedom you could possibly ask for. I'm so sick of these selfish people that refuse to take responsibility. It's something, yes, you don't wish it on anyone, but sometimes you kind of have to say, well, you know what? Maybe you should taste it. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback. The best of Fightback is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.